Welcome to Fearless Mom. We are wrapping up our series that we have called um, It's Not That Complicated, talking about discipline. We spent a few weeks on the... um, challenge the blessing of strong-willed children, which we call SWB, Strong-Willed Blessings. We hope that you've enjoyed this series as much as we have, in particular our family, as we have remembered and reminisced about uh, many of our exciting public loud tantrums. Um, We hope that you have enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, Today, though, I want to start by welcoming in our online moms. If you are watching by yourself, we just want to remind you that you are not alone. We pray that you feel encouragement and support from the girls here in Austin. We are cheering you on, and our prayer is that you have the energy to go another day. And you know what? Let's take it to the next level. We pray you actually enjoy today. How about that? Um, So that's what we'll pray for you. Let's go ahead and pray so we can get going. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the calling of motherhood, the blessing of motherhood. We thank you for the unique and interesting personalities of our children that you've put in our homes. Right now, God, I ask that you settle our minds and our hearts, that you open our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you want us to learn today so that we can be the moms that you have called us to be, so that we can raise these children to be the men and women that you've created them to be. Thank you for being in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned um, that Emily had an imaginary husband when she was three. Um, Actually, she had a whole family. David, Casey, and Kavid were their children. And um, uh, Michael, her husband, was very opinionated about the clothes that Emily wore. And um, I recalled, um, and maybe you remember this story, um, not my finest parenting hour, when I argued with Emily in a store about how Michael does not make decisions in our family. Emily, because Michael felt very strongly that Emily should not have to wear white sandals at Easter. And uh, Michael was very opinionated. And then I want you to fast forward, though, um, three years. Now, as I told you, that that tantrum lasted a little while and um, it, on both of our parts. But let's focus on Emily. Um, and so I, we're going to fast forward now three years. We are back in the same store. And at this point, Emily's about six years old. And she is going to have to go get a dress for my cousin's wedding. So I gear myself up and I said, now, Emily, um, I just need to tell you in advance that the dress that we're going to get for the wedding is probably not something you would choose. It's probably not something you're going to like, and that's okay, because you're only going to have to wear it for four hours. That's it. You never have to wear it again, okay? Yes, ma'am. So, Emily, you understand before we go in that you probably won't like it. Yes, ma'am. We go into the store. I see the perfect dress, and so it's about tea length, light um, pink linen, um, smocked on the top already. If you know anything about Emily, the word smocked and Emily just did not go together once she passed six months old, but um, it was smocked on the top with these the same color um, fabric, you know, butterflies on it. I thought, this is perfect. It was her size. So I said, Emily, I want you to go try on the dress. And so, yes, ma'am. So she goes into the dressing room, and she comes back out, and it's perfect. 
perfect size, perfect for the wedding, absolutely perfect. I could not believe it. I'm like, oh my word, we're out of here with no scars. And so she comes out, stands there, I look and I go, Emily, that is perfect. It fits you great. Oh, you look precious. And I look closely and tears are coming down her cheeks. And so I'm like, did something happen in the dressing room? I said, are you okay? She said, yes, ma'am. And I said, well, what's wrong? She said, it's not me. And I said, what? What's not you? You got to remember, I, I don't care what clothes are on my back. I mean, I wear the same thing every day, like four days in a row, because it's still laying on the chair beside my bed. And so then I have this child who cares very deeply about what she wears. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, it's not me. And I said, and I thought, oh, this is a little crazy. But... I realized the years had passed and I understood Emily a little better and I understood that she felt it that deeply. And I said, you know what, Emily? I know it's not something you would pick out, but it's going to be perfect for the wedding and you only have to wear it for four hours. Yes, ma'am. And she went in the dressing room and she took it off. That was it. I'm like, we've made such progress. Fast forward another three years. Emily at age nine she would always scope out what all of the high school and college kids at church and at the mall were wearing, always. And she always knew what she wanted to choose, and it was always something the older kids were wearing. And at that point, they were all wearing gray New Balance. And so it was time for her to get her shoes, you know, her back-to-school shoes. She knew she wanted those gray New Balance. I said, perfect. Those are great for school. We can go get the gray New Balance. So she's about nine years old. So we go into the store, go into a Academy, try on, oh, here's her size. We get the gray new balance. She is beside herself. She puts them on. They're too big. So we find another size. Try them on. They don't fit. They're just too wide for her little narrow foot. And so I said, Emily, I know you want those gray new balance, but you're not going to be able to get these shoes. I'm not getting these shoes for you. Yes, ma'am. She put the shoes back up. So at this point, I thought, I'm going to go put on Joseph's shoes. You know, it's time to buy him the same exact pair of Nikes that he just gets a bigger size every year because he too does not care. And so I, I, I know exactly what to put on his feet. So he's trying them on, and I look over, and Emily is sitting on the floor with her knees pulled up to her chest and her head down, crying, quietly. But I can see her. And so I go over, and I said, Emily, What's wrong? What happened? Mom, I really wanted the gray shoes. I said, I know, I know you did. She goes, no, Mom, I really wanted the gray shoes. I said, I know, you did. And you know what? I know you're sad. At this point, I've learned so much about Emily. I can now validate her emotion, even though it is foreign to me. And so I'm handling it better. I said, I understand that it is very difficult for you, that you are sad, you are frustrated, but I want to tell you that I noticed that you're handling it well, that you um, are controlling your emotions. And so that was it. That was it. And we ended up getting another pair of shoes. Now, what was the difference between Emily at three and Emily at six and nine? Here's the key. She felt just as deeply about the pink dress as Michael felt about the white sandals. She felt just as deeply about the gray tennis shoes as Michael had felt about the white sandals. But here was the difference. She felt it just as deeply, but she had learned to express it appropriately. 
Now, I'm happy when I remember those stories because I'm like, it worked, it worked, it worked because I tend to only remember the times when it wasn't working. But as I reflected on this and I said, here was the key. I was talking to Mac about it. I go, what was the difference? And yes, she was older, but I can recall a few tantrums even still when she was older, but she had learned self-control. That's the key. When it comes to behavior, when it comes to strong-willed blessings or even easy-going, laid-back blessings, both of them need to understand and learn self-control. Actually, research shows that self-control is directly tied to academic success, to physical health, and, but it makes sense, though, if you think about it, and to relationships. They've studied self-control over years and years and years of kids' lives, and they have made a direct correlation between self-control and future success. That being said, there's value then as moms for us to understand that our children need self-control. Actually, if we understand we need self-control. We first, we talk about that all the time in Fearless Mom about how important it is to take responsibility for being a mom, to take responsibility, to embrace the responsibility of wife if you're married, of mom if you have children, whatever responsibility is put before you. But then it requires self-control to put everything into action. And so that's the key to discipline. That's the key to getting to your kid's heart is to teach that self-control. Actually, there was um, a study that started in the 60s and 70s with a professor who was a psychologist. He was a professor at Stanford. He's now at Columbia University. But it's called the marshmallow test. And maybe you've seen it before, but this is what they were doing. They were looking at kids' self-control at a very young age. And then this professor, they actually followed these kids for years and years into young adulthood. And they again made the correlation correlation between self-control and future success. They were more successful SAT scores, more successful in school, a lower body mass index, and many other positive traits in adulthood. And so let me tell you about this self-control test. And we actually have a video that we're going to show in one sec. So here's what they did. They brought preschoolers in and they, they first started with marshmallows, and then they began to let them choose. They could, they could have an Oreo, or they could have another piece of candy. You could do it with M&Ms or whatever. And so they would say, okay, here is one marshmallow. And so you can have this one marshmallow, but if you wait, you can have two marshmallows. So they would leave them in the room by themselves. So there was nothing in there to distract them. So they were in the room with just the marshmallow. And then they would wait 15 minutes and then go back. And if the child had not eaten the marshmallow, they got the second marshmallow. You see, the kid had to implement self-control to not eat the marshmallow. I want you to watch this. Here's a great video showing an example of how this was done. in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. 
But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> she did not even pretend that she was going to wait until she got out the door. I saw another one. I watched these over and over. There's so many on YouTube, and it was hysterical. And they would show how long the kids were able to wait. One little boy, 11 seconds. Another little boy, um, he played with his marshmallows so much that by the end of the 15 minutes, it was just all stuck to his hands. But he did not eat it. You see, each child had their own way of using strategies to have self-control to not eat the marshmallow. And I love that some kids, it is just in them. They are just born that way. And they have, at a young age, self-control. It's just in their DNA. And they are able to use tactics for that delayed gratification. And so it's then there are others who maybe aren't born with that characteristic. But I have good news. If you have a kiddo, or maybe if you are a mom, who does not have that in you, it can be developed. Yes, studies show that there is a direct correlation from those kids who definitely show self-control at a young age to future success. But then they followed the kids who did not exhibit self-control at a young age. That line was not as clear. I believe it's because many of those kids learned self-control along the way. Some kids truly never are taught it, but it can be learned. The research shows that it is a cognitive skill, that you can learn strategies. It is just like a muscle that can be developed and it can grow. So as moms, if we know that our kids are better off in the future and they are going to be more successful, and we've already established that our goal is to raise strong, competent, independent adults, then we have to agree that one of our responsibilities is to teach self-control. And so if you are thinking, I have a strong-willed blessing, we talked about that, how the key word for a strong-willed blessing is more. They're just more determined, more stubborn, more intense, more a little bit of everything. And our job, our goal is not to make them less. 
I don't want them. You don't want your child to be less determined, less passionate. We don't want to change them. We want to channel them. And one of the greatest ways to channel, the simplest way, if we're going to strip everything away, is to teach self-control. If we're going to get down to the bottom layer, it is self-control. Truly, yes, faith is important, and we're going to go ahead and assume that part, but unless you have the self-control to implement the faith that you have to step out and obey, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have about the Bible. You have to have self-control to choose the right thing. So self-control, we're all going to agree, is important. There's great value in it. Now we're going to talk about how do, if you have not taught it to your child yet, or what if you don't have it yourself? We know that if God commands us to something in Scripture, even if it has never been a part of your life before, that His desire is that you make the change and implement it now. And His desire is for you to live a life of self-control now. If you look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Yeah, there are no notes on the screen today, so you're really going to have to concentrate. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, and that's with a capital S. That means that a person who has stepped into a relationship with Christ is to bear the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So once you step into a relationship with Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now your overflow is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Yeah, bummer. I know. Life is sometimes, it looks in the short term more fun, one marshmallow, but we know that delayed gratification is better. In our house, it kind of became a joke. Um, as I was studying this, um, I would tell Mac, I go, I'm so now painfully aware of all of the areas of my life that I don't have self-control and all of the areas of my life that I just want instant gratification. I'm ready for dinner now. I don't want to cook it can we just have something delivered? Which, by the way, there's really nothing wrong with that. That doesn't always imply a lack of self-control. But I did notice. And so then it became a joke where I go, I hate marshmallows. I hate marshmallows because now all I'm thinking is of that delayed gratification test. And so uh, I hate marshmallows. That was our bottom line around our house. Because once you become aware of all of the areas of your life where you should be implementing self-control, where your life could be better in your marriage, in your physical health, in your emotional health, your relational health, self-control just makes life better. Proverbs refers to self-control many times. I'm just going to give you a few. Proverbs 5, 22 and 23. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. You see, God knows that our human desire takes over and we must submit our desires to his plan for our life. And you must have self-control to submit your desires to his. And then Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And then I'm going to, my favorite one is Proverbs 25, 28. 
A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. This is something I can see. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person without self-control is vulnerable does not have the guard around it. You see, God's laws, God's ways, God's design is for our best life. And so that is how we fortify our life, by submitting to his will, by obeying his plan. That is how we fortify our marriage, by submitting to his design. That's how we fortify our relationships, by submitting to his plan. And when we lack self-control, The wall is crumbling and we are now vulnerable. And so it allows the bad to get in. It also allows the good to get out. And so Proverbs reinforces that self-control is vital to live the life that you were created to live. Not just for our children, but for you. But we're going to talk a little bit about how to teach. I'm going to go through different ages and stages and talk about how we begin to develop this. Because if you haven't begun to um, be aware of your own self-control, that's step one. And then how to implement it in your children's lives. Because maybe your child is born with it, that's awesome. Maybe it's something you need to teach that child. So even with newborns, even with babies, I would say, because I'm not going to say right when you bring the baby home from the hospital, but even with babies, we can begin to teach this concept of self-control. We can begin to make self-control a part of our child's life, a part of our family's life. Life. And one of the ways is to help babies learn to soothe themselves. Every baby is different. Every baby needs a little something different. My responsibility is to learn how Emily soothes herself, to learn how Joseph soothes himself. Emily could not be rocked to sleep because she wanted to be up and about. So if I tried to rock her, she pushed off and she thought it was party time. You know, she was lifting her head. She needed to be left in the bed to fall asleep. I had to teach her how to do that. That was my responsibility. Joseph, on the other hand, um, we had to wake him up if we were ever going to see him. Um, He loved his bed. He loved to go. He would be rocked. I could sit and watch him fall asleep in his crib. I could put him in his crib, stand, and within 30 seconds, his eyes were closed. He learned early how to self-soothe. What he had to learn is how to soothe himself when he was awake. He had to actually be taught how to sit by himself in the extra saucer for five minutes because he was so accustomed to Emily entertaining him all of the time. And so he had to learn how to self-soothe in a different way. But my responsibility as mom is to learn each child. And it's okay for a fed, clean-diapered baby to cry a little bit. It's okay. And that's something that a lot of people have a very hard time with. And if that's something that you have a hard time with it, obviously, I'm going to encourage you to be wise, discerning, and use some common sense. Make sure you're in touch with your pediatrician. There are always outside factors, maybe reflux. Make sure your baby's getting enough food. But if your pediatrician is good with it and feels like your baby's growing at the right rate, it's okay to hear a baby cry. Um, Another way to teach a baby is after a traumatic diaper change or other upsetting experience to comfort your baby. So sometimes when you're changing the diaper, the baby is crying and we want to comfort them immediately. I know, I know. See, you're teaching your baby already. You're going to be upset 
and that's okay. Then, now, do I think the baby's really processing all this? No. I'm talking about you're establishing boundaries. And so then afterwards, you go, okay, okay, yeah, you're good. Now you calm them down. So the baby learns, I get upset, and then I can calm down. That's one of the basic things that they need to learn for self-control. Then find ways to keep yourself calm. Find ways to keep yourself calm. A crying baby can be very, very stressful. A crying baby that you can't figure out why he's crying is even more stressful. A crying baby while you've had no sleep is even more stressful. Throw in hormones, throw in, you know, a diet of goldfish and gummy bears, you know, and it is a very stressful situation. And so to soothe your baby, you may need to put your baby down and make sure you are calm. I think about the times when I tried to soothe Emily. When I was tense, they feel that. And so I need to learn how to soothe myself before I soothe my child. Um, and then as the baby gets older, developmentally, nine months, 10 months, heading toward that one year, begin teaching appropriate behavior. This is when we begin using the word no. We now, I'm not saying that you're um, going to get into a discussion with your 11-month-old about why the word no or uh, going to teach them the word consequence, you know, at 10 months. That's awesome if your child is so gifted. But um, I would encourage you to start using that word no. No means no, and then a child has to submit his desire to the no, and that is a step of self-control, which again, it's sometimes difficult, but you have to remember there's purpose in this no. I'm establishing self-control for future success. Makes the no a lot easier when you attach it to a long-term goal. That's where the vision comes into play. So you start introducing the vocabulary. I know you're, you start introducing that emotional vocabulary. I understand you're mad, no hitting. That's it. No hit. That's it. And so you're starting that word. Now as they begin to get into toddler years, teach appropriate words. Like Teach words like choice. You made a bad choice. No. You reinforce that no. You uh, teach the word choice and inappropriate and appropriate or acceptable and unacceptable, whatever your vocabulary around your house is. Um, and so you begin to teach them. And under, we want them to understand the word choice. That's very important. You chose to disobey. You chose to hit. No, ma'am, you chose to hit. We want them to assume responsibility. The word choice implies that they chose. They, took, they have to take responsibility for that. Um, now, here's the key when they enter those toddler years and you are implementing, if you go back to our Discipline Simplified plan, um, one of the keys is no emotion. And um, yeah, easier said than done. Again, moms, we have to have self-control. And so no emotion and be as consistent as possible. As consistent as possible. Calm and consistent. If you have an SWB, really consistent and just over and over and over again um, but it will work just remember Emily crying about the um, white sandals that Michael didn't like and compare it to the gray new balance 
felt, she felt it just as deeply, but she had learned to express it appropriately. Um, and you're really working on that um, emotional vocabulary and separating feelings from behavior. We did an entire series on this, on emote control. And if that is something that your child struggles with, um, outbursts when they're angry, outbursts when they're sad, outbursts when they're frustrated, um, we want to separate. So what we do is we validate the emotion. That was really important for me to learn that with Emily. That was a skill I did not have. It took me a long time for me to validate because I didn't understand it. To me, I'm, I'm like, it's no big deal, which that, those words are not in Emily's vocabulary. Everything's a big deal. Um, so validate, I understand you're sad, and then separate. I understand you're sad, but you cannot hit. I understand you're sad, but you cannot scream. I understand you're sad, but you cannot yell. And we separate the emotion from the behavior. It's actually very empowering. And then preschoolers, we're doing all those same things, but then we layer in, we teach the pause. Sherry Morrow is one of our moms, and she has hand signals for this. And she says, stop, think, choose. And so she'll just signal to her kids, stop think, choose. You know what that is? That's self-control. Stop. You teach the pause. Stop, think, choose. And you choose good or you choose bad. And so that's a hand signal that she came up with. Max said um, that he had a basketball coach that would tell them, pause for poise. Pause for poise. So gather yourself. When Joseph was younger and he was trying to express his emotion, he was not one that was loud in TJ Maxx. He was on the other end. He would keep it all in, and then it was like a volcano, and it would all come out, but he couldn't say the words. And so I would say, take a breath. Okay? Big boy voice. I want to hear you. Tell me what's wrong. And he had to learn to pause so that he could speak. Because once he began, if he got very passionate in telling me, even if he wasn't yelling at me, I'd go, oh, I cannot listen to you if you're yelling. I want to hear. I want to hear. Take a breath. Now, that's self-control. That's teaching them. Can you imagine what if everyone had learned that at age three? Don't you think marriages would be different? I think pause for poise. Yeah, I think Mac was telling me that for a reason now that I think about it. But we all benefit from the stop, think, choose. We all benefit from the pause. And we need to work that into our kids' lives. If you think about the marshmallow test, it goes right back to that. Pause self-control. You watch all those kids develop strategies. Some of them, if you watch other videos, they turn their backs to the marshmallow or they sing to themselves or they look away. They will not look at the marshmallow. Whatever you need to do to pause. Um, also, give your child opportunities to wait. Give your child opportunities to wait. Create space for delayed gratification. I am not a technology hater. I love technology, but if we're not careful, we will rob our children of the opportunities to wait and to be uncomfortable because I know that it's easier in the grocery store if your kid has an iPad. I get it, but every time your child, if you do it every time, your child never has the opportunity to submit his desires to yours. 
and we need them to learn self-control. And so all you have to do is be aware. That doesn't mean you can never use technology. That just means you have to be aware, have I taken the opportunity to teach my child self-control, to give my child time for pause and time to wait? Is there anything in her life that she has had to submit to? That is so, so important. And you're going to have to create it. They have to learn to submit their will to yours. In the car, no electronics, um, in the grocery store, in the restaurant, they need to learn how to do that. Not every time. And listen, if I see you in a restaurant and your kid has an iPad, I'm not going to. Don't feel like you have to hide it, okay? I'm not saying every time. I'm just saying make sure you're giving opportunities because it is a muscle that needs to be worked out. Now, elementary and up. I'm going to give you some sentences that we work on in LHC Kids that we believe are very important for children to learn and to take on. Number one, I am fully responsible for my words and my actions. I am fully responsible for my words and my actions. And words means tone. Boy, we said that all the time in our house. Hey, watch your tone. Watch your tone. Tone matters. Respectful tone all the time. So I am fully responsible for my words and my actions. And actions includes body language and facial expression. Body language and facial expression. So when I tell the kids you're fully responsible, I say things like, is it okay to be mad? And they say yes. Is it okay to be mean? No. That's self-control. That's separating the feeling from the behavior. We say that in LHC Kids all the time. What if your sister comes into your room and destroys everything? What if she takes everything in your room and throws it out the window? Is she wrong? Yes. Is it okay to be mad? Yes. Is it okay to hit her? No. It's okay to be mad. It's not okay to be mean. I am fully responsible. Is it her fault if you yell at her? No. I am fully responsible for my words and my actions. We want them to assume that responsibility, to embrace that responsibility. Why? Because of the next one. I can control my words and my actions. I want the kids to understand that you can't say things like, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. I've been that way my whole life. Self-control. The Holy Spirit provides it. Step into it. God commands it. Step into it. You must implement self-control. It's not my fault. It's, that's irrelevant. It's your responsibility. And so submitting. I am fully responsible for my words and my actions, including tone, body language, and facial expressions. I control. I can control my words and my actions. And here is a big one. My words and my actions affect others. I've told you, we have um, our first year shirt, I think, is She Laughs. Our second year shirt is Strength and Dignity. And I'm really considering um, the next shirt being My Actions Affect Others. <laughs> because I think there's so many people who don't understand this. I think there's so many adults who don't understand this. We want to raise a generation that understands this. That's how we teach compassion. But again, all of this requires self-control. All of this requires self-control. And then here's the summary that I want kids to grasp. My words, my actions, my choice. You always have a choice. You cannot always choose your circumstances. You cannot always choose the behavior of others. But you always have a choice about your words and your actions. Always. And so we want to empower them with that. And by empowering them with that, we teach them self-control.
because they understand I'm responsible. It affects others. I will implement self-control. I may not choose my circumstances, but I definitely can choose how I respond to them. Now, I told you that one of the sentences we teach in LHC Kids is, uh, it's okay to be mad, it's not okay to be mean. We say that a lot. It's okay to be mad, it's not okay to be mean. It's okay to be tired, it's not okay to be tooky. We make that excuse for our children all the time. And we allow disrespectful behavior. We allow rude behavior. Now, yes, it may be the reason. The child may be tired. It's not, that doesn't make it okay. And so, tukey, that's our word that we use. Tukey, tacky, whatever word you want to use there. It's okay to be tired. But we don't lower the bar of behavior just because you're tired. You have to learn self-control. And if you have an older kid, we say things like this. Like, okay, you know what? We're going to dinner now. You have, you're exhausted. So now I want you to be aware you're going to have to work twice as hard to use self-control. You're going to have to work twice as hard to you know, follow the rules. You're going to have to work, prepare them for that. But it's okay to be tired. It's not okay to be tukey. It's okay to be disappointed. It's not okay to be disrespectful. If you play games at home, this is a huge one. It's okay to be disappointed. I get it. You lost. You can't yell at anybody. And you're thinking, you know, my child, that's why we can't play games. I'm going to tell you, you need to play games twice as many as everybody else, twice as much as everybody else, because it's a muscle that needs to be exercised. So let's give them opportunities at home to develop self-control. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be upset. You can't be rude about it. It's not okay to be disrespectful. And on the other side, especially if you have kids who play sports, it's okay to be excited. It's not okay to be inconsiderate. It is okay to celebrate, but consider the other people on the field. It's okay. This goes back to your actions affect others. Emily says she remembers, I used to always say, be aware, be aware, be aware. I said that all the time. Why? I wanted them to understand that their actions affect everybody in the room, that it affects everyone. You have the power, we teach this to the kids, you have the power in your hand, you have the power with your mouth to make someone feel awesome or awful. What are you going to choose? And so it's okay to be excited, it's not okay to be inconsiderate. These are all opportunities to teach self-control. But I'm going to wrap up with this. The best way to teach self-control is to have self-control. I know. I I got to this part and I was like, surely there's a better way. Uh, But the best way to teach self-control is to have self-control, is to model self-control. That's with the littlest baby. All the way up to adult children, the best way to teach self-control, to empower your children with self-control, is to have self-control yourself. And we have said that the Holy Spirit provides that. You have to be aware now when I challenge you in the next week to join in the fun self-control party that I've been having. And be aware of all of the areas in your life where you could work out your self-control muscle. And think, how can I develop more self-control so that I can give my kid more self-control in your spiritual life, in your physical health, in your emotional health? It takes self-control to make sure you have time alone with God. It takes self-control to make sure you have vacation time and downtime. It takes self-control to make sure you have time away from their children so you always like them at the end of the day. It takes self-control to have boundaries. Our best life 
is one submitted to God's plan. Our kids' greatest chance of success is if we teach them to have self-control, and we can do it. And the first way is to have it ourselves. And we believe in you. We also believe in a big God. And we believe that no matter how little self-control you had yesterday or even this morning, that he is the boss and he is the giver of self-control. If you will be aware and you put it into action. And so I can't wait to hear your stories. I um, have really, uh, the marshmallow test um, has kind of sent me over the edge with my self-control. So I began another whole 30. I began putting all of these self-control things in place to evaluate my own self-control. And so now I'm like totally, um, you know, aware of everywhere I'm lacking. I hope for you that you uh, have success stories to tell. So let's pray as we wrap up. God, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for the gift of self-control that you promise us if we'll lean into you. We know, God, that if it makes our life better, that if you call us to it, then you will equip us for it. And we know from Scripture, we know from research, that self-control is vital for us, for our marriages, for our children. We ask that you make us mindful of that this week. Show us ways that we can work out our self-control muscle. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.